This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. And my guest this week is the ultra prolific singer songwriter and member of bands like the Get Up Kids and the New Amsterdams. It's Matt Pryor. Very excited to have Matt on. He's about to celebrate an anniversary tour with Kevin Devine for his new Amsterdam's record, Worse for the Wear. Uh, Kevin Devine's going to be doing Make the Clocks Move. Check out the dates. I believe it starts the first week of March. You should not miss that tour. I'm going to try to make it out to the uh, Pioneer Town show. It's at a spot called Pappy and Harriet's. It's this tucked away little barbecue restaurant way out in the desert. If you haven't seen a show there and you're from Southern California, do it. Have this one be your first. Hey, I want to let you know, 90% of the episodes here have a bonus episode. You can access those over at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. This week, Matt and I ran out of time, but he was kind enough to answer the questions via text. So if you're subscribed to the show, you could head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon and check out the questions that were submitted by subscribers that Matt was kind enough to answer. You can access that now. Plus, tons of bonus episodes. I do bonus radio hours. You get an extra two of those a month. There is a Discord channel. I run contests. All sorts of stuff happens over there. It's a lot of fun. One more time, that is patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to so much great stuff. I appreciate you for uh, even humoring the idea of doing such a thing. Um, also, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, that would mean a whole lot. And leaving a positive rating review, also so, so helpful. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, here is my conversation with Matt Pryor. Matt, what an honor. This is uh, this is an interview I've been looking forward to a lot. So thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> you're, putting too much, you're putting too much pressure on me um no it's uh well you're uh you've you've your voice has been uh a part of my life for for a really long time and uh we played together um my band touche mori played with uh the get up kids at uh it was that slam dunk fest in the uk we had a bunch of mutual oh, right. friends around yeah, we had a bunch of mutual friends around. Was that around the one and, and with the uh, with the uh, uh, Follow Troy 
did they play and did thrice play that too or was that they may have i remember our stage in particular was like us you guys tiger's jaw saves a day ah oh okay yeah yeah yeah. no i'm sorry i'm thinking of a different festival no i remember now yeah because they all went together later later that day i think that uh oh shit what's the name can i swear on this uh yeah of course what's the name of the band that does hey there delilah oh uh uh, oh my god of course uh because they played too and it was just like oh hey it's the hey there delilah (laughs) (laughs) um it's dry. It, wow, both of us are blanking right now. Uh, oh Jesus! I listeners are freaking out. But saying, you know, you, you know what? Plain white you know tees. That's it. Uh, yeah. Do you know who else played? Is that there's this great um, who I discovered at that festival, this Irish Northern Irish uh, hip hop duo called Kneecap. That okay. Are they're just like super like anti British, <laughs> like they're just yeah. like super like punk rock like like uh rappers and it was just like i was just like this is this is the best band i've ever heard <laughs> it was so good oh that's awesome that's awesome so uh, i I, fo- I followed them on youtube lately but anyway um sorry to uh to derail your your no i, re- I remember that festival it was in like the middle of a it was in like the the north country wasn't it like it was in like a like a like a farm field right like that would not surprise me i I couldn't tell you where it was but that sounds about right i feel like all of those uk festivals they just throw them as far into the countryside as possible so it's like impossible to be anywhere near um civilization in any capacity well and then can i can i ask you something else uh in yeah uh disregard of, of the festival but you guys you guys recorded with ed didn't you oh yeah exactly yeah that's i'm sure that's going to come up on this conversation but yeah we recorded our second record uh our second record with ed in like five days or four days or something it was very quick so which ed did you get did you get grumpy ed or did you get positive ed because there's two um i would say that i've known i've known ed for 30 years so like yeah we split the difference i think i think we got both We had the full we had the full run of Ed as a person, I think, in just a couple of days, because the fact that I think he was psyched to have the project to do, but he wasn't. Well, he, psyched he's, to do the it told, he's the one who told he's the one who told me about you guys. He's the one who told me he's the one who told me about you guys. And I because I, I wasn't familiar, but like sure. um, he, he definitely seemed like stoked on on what you were doing. So I just. Yeah, yeah. You never, you never know what kind of Ed you're like. Whenever anybody's like, "Oh, we record with Ed at your at your studio," and I'm just like, "Yeah, how'd that go?" <laughs> just like, <laughs> well, it's. I feel like you'll. I think you knowing him as well as you do, you'll appreciate this. Where so he wasn't. It was very obvious he was not psyched to mix the entire record on the last day. And while oh. he was doing that, he was also trying to stream a basketball game. And his Wi-Fi was not working, and oh, that was adding was it stress. Oh, game? Okay, yes. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so that was an added element, I think, to his grumpiness because that wasn't the, working. Uh, the first time that we ever recorded with him, he played solitaire the whole time, <laughs> <laughs> like on a like, laptop or like it, like actually no, on the, the on the on the on the computer, on like the Pro Tools. Yeah, like. Well, and it was we were recording the tape too at the. At, this would have been like ninety 
96, 97, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were recording the tape, but he was just like, he was just fucking playing solitaire the whole time. We're just like, this guy hates us. <laughs> but then he ended um, up yeah. being like a major collaborator and in, in, in a, like he was the fifth member of the band for a long time. Sixth oh, absolutely. Member of the band. It was one of those things where though it was like such a short session and, and all of these sorts of things, like anytime we've ever been through Lawrence, um, we always make a note to try to get him to at least stop by and say hi. Like we have such love for the guy. Like yeah, he's such a I, cool I, personality. I, he he's a <laughs> he, he's a lot. <laughs> um last time I saw I him actually I haven't seen him I haven't seen him in a minute. Like I uh you know, he, he's I, I think he's having some like tinnitus sort of stuff oh, no. going on. So he's not really doing any any uh recording anymore. But um every you know, every once in a while like I'll I'll check in with like the casket lottery guys and they'll they'll like I think he he mixed their last record, but like he just wasn't feeling it. Like he was just I think he's just having some health stuff. But like I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen him in a minute, so from what I can tell, he's been begrudgingly trying to retire, but I think uh, Nathan uh, Gas Collider takes told pictures me that, like, of the. He just takes pictures of the moon, like <laughs> that's all his Instagram is, just pictures of the moon. <laughs> yeah, great. Nathan had said they like basically uh, just wore him down to be like, "Could you please just mix this record?" And then I guess he finally did it. But like, I mean, he was always such a fascinating character in the fact that like. He was the guy that would go to a junkyard just to find weird chords and electronics and stuff. Right. Well, he's into those like Simmons drums and and that that whole scene, which is is not something that I'm, you know, I don't subscribe to. But like, you know, he he's he's you know he's a he's a unique bird, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. The last time I saw him, uh, my brother and I were on a cross country trip to Nebraska. And uh, why we stopped? Well, unfo- uh, my mom had passed away, and we were, and that's where she's from. Oh, so we were like going so there sorry. to bury her ashes. Kind of, oh, you're fine. Uh, we were going there to bury her ashes, and we were like, well, we should stop by Lawrence. Like, it's a really cool town. Um, and then uh, Ed had just finished uh, the the library uh, recording studio. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which is like the coolest thing in the entire world. So like he was, you know, he gave my brother and I like a tour of that whole situation. And one of the parts of it, that's so funny. And for listeners at home, like it's super awesome that, uh, at that public library, like if you have a library card, you can go record in this studio that's in the, yeah, library, it's, it's a, is... it's a full like recording studio. I haven't, I haven't been there in a minute. I don't think I've been there since Ed stopped working there, but like you can do like They've got a couple of editing suites where you can do like just like Pro Tools editing or whatever. And then they've got like a live room that you can record in. And uh, actually my daughter, because she's been involved with, uh, it was called Girls Rock and now it's called Amplify, which is like a camp for yeah. for teenagers to like uh, go make music. They record like every, every year they record like a session uh, in that in that studio which is pretty cool so oh that's awesome yeah ed was like he was showing it to us and he's like it's my favorite thing because i get to uh, i'll i'll show the people how to do the thing and then i get to leave i don't get to hear i don't have to hear their music i don't have to mix it i just show them the fun part and then i leave 
Yeah, I think he got kind of burnt out though because like they would do like events at the library that they wouldn't like consult him about and it was just like sound pollution oh, kind, of, sure. kind of stuff but you know i mean he's he's he i mean i love i love ed rose to death but like he's got a short fuse you know like he's yeah well, yeah, yeah yeah i could i could i could sense that for sure there was a few there's a few kind of short fuse moments but um i think we were also just i mean we are so young and excited that was our first time recording with somebody that like wasn't our friend you know oh and yeah we went, no i that's how we were like we that's yeah. how we were back in the 90s like we didn't we were just intimidated by the guy and we're just like this is this is great like you know what do we know you know that's exactly it like we went actually to be honest with you we went specifically to him because i mean we we're familiar you know we're all fans of uh coalesce and all of that sort of stuff but like we went to mm -hmm. him because of the way survival is for coward sounds we're like that could be one of the best recordings of this kind of music so um that was like well really the, yeah also uh functioning on impatience is is a fucking like that coalesce ep yeah is one of the best sounding like hardcore records i i've i've ever heard like you can't kill us all like i mean i i i still deal with with sean because he's uh he runs the merch company that I that I work with, and uh, yeah. I just kind of like sometimes I just like look at him and I'm just like, you fucking sang that song. Like I just like, <laughs> it's just such an intense song, you know. Like yeah, and I got I got the chance to do uh, when they did the Led Zeppelin cover record. Yeah, you did the back molested. Yeah, and that was the first time I ever sang with. Uh, with James who I, I don't really talk to anymore, but like, um, you know, it was just sort of a, I don't know. It was just like, Ed did such a great job of like making that sound like real, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, I don't know, corny, you know what I totally. mean? Like it was just, so, yeah, but I mean, yeah, but yeah, functioning on impatience is one of my favorite hardcore records of of all. Uh, I mean, EPs, I guess, of all time. Yeah, like I'm really particular about that genre of music, the same way that I am about like um, like pop punk. I only like really specific things in the genre, and uh, yeah, uh, I feel really. I feel lucky to have, have to have been uh, a collaborator with the Coalesce guys because I think that they're they're really really good at what they do. Oh, I completely agree. We got to do a handful of shows with them back in like 2010 because we were on a tour with Converge and they did like just a portion of it. And funny, well, f funny tragically enough, uh, Converge's van broke down, so then Coalesce ended up headlining the Converge tour for like four days of that tour. Um, oh. and one of them, one of them was actually in Lawrence at, uh, the bottleneck. Um, oh, nice. But, yeah. But, uh, I mean, just being from afar, always such a fan of them. Um, that's how I got to know Nathan. Uh, and just hearing Sean do those songs was just like the craziest thing in the entire world. How is he doing? I haven't, I mean, I haven't talked to him probably in yeah over 10 years. Is he all right? Uh, I mean, he seems good. Like I, he, he moved out to, uh, like he bought a house out by uh, Lone Star Lake, which is a little bit outside of town. So he's kind of living that lake life, uh, oh, yeah. and he he seems to really like it. Him and 
you, you know, uh, Jim David, who's the other guy who's like the main guy at Blue Collar Industries, who's uh, he was the bass player in the anniversary. And okay. he's he's kind of living that lake life as well. That's what you do when you own Blue Collar Industries is you move to the lake. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a bad life. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's more just a pain in the ass if you like forget to get something at the store and then you have oh, to like true. drive all the way back into town. But you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, so are you, fr- are you from Lawrence originally? I'm from Kansas city. I uh, like, I, I am the, uh, the rare occasion of someone who is a Kansan who grew up in Missouri and, uh, it's interesting how many people make fun of that without knowing that I'm that I actually grew up on the on the other side of the border. It's a it's a weird. Um, I don't know how much you know about this. I mean, I know you've spent some time here, but like um, this rivalry goes back to the Civil War because Missouri was a slave state and Kansas was a free state, and Lawrence actually was founded. Um, Lawrence was founded as a as a like a a way to stop the flow of slavery any further west. So it was mm. sort of like a it was sort of like founded as like a uh you know what's the word I'm looking for? Um I don't know. It was just it was it was just you know, it was like a a, a confrontational point. Yeah. So anyway, um yeah, being from Missouri is is a bit of my whole family's from Missouri and they give me so much shit for living in Kansas and all my kids are you know were born in Kansas and and grew up here so was there always like the rival sports teams and things like that like between the t- between the two Oh yeah. Bo- like the border situation, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um KU and MU used to be in the same uh division but they're not anymore and so that seems to have uh, petered out a bit, but okay, got it, got it. Um, when you were when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you remember connecting with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house, but something that you discovered on your own. You know, that kind of gave you a sense of identity, I suppose. So it was hair metal. Hell yeah! So I got really into uh, Appetite for Destruction. Okay. Like you do. And then that led me down a road to into like Motley Crue and like that kind of scene. And like me and uh, Josh Berwinger from the anniversary can can go real deep on uh, 80s hair metal as far as like. Like I know that Brian Baker, who plays now in Bad Religion and was a founding member of Minor Threat, was in a metal band called Junkyard in the eighties, and that is, you know, pretty, pretty corny. <laughs> like, it, you know. like post Minor Threat, uh-huh. he was in a hair metal band. Was it like a yes. hair metal-y? Wow, it was like a proper LA hair metal band called Junkyard, and they had a they had a song. Their single was called Whiskey, Water, and Wine. See, this is this is how deep I can go. Um, yeah, I love it. Anyway, if I ever get a chance to meet Brian Baker, I will fucking bust his balls about that. But like, <laughs> you know, he was he was he was in Minor Threat, so he gets a pass. But uh, he gets a pass for sure. 
But did you discover that after getting into Minor Threat or did you know that? No, I learned about that beforehand. And then like, so it's, it's actually because of, uh, uh, Metallica's Garage Days. Yeah. The, where they cover a Misfits song that I, the, they were, uh, that I kind of was like, oh, I kind of like this punk. Like, you know, I got into the Misfits and then I got into Bad Religion. And then uh, once I discovered Fugazi, it was just like the doors were wide, you know, completely blown right. open. Yeah. And well, um, what was the... Uh, of, go ahead, please. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, so if you were into that stuff, was that... Um, I was going to ask what your first concert was. Was it, uh, was it that kind of music? My first concert was a, uh, LA guns and a band from Texas called dangerous toys who had a song oh, yeah. called sport in a Woody, which is a, <laughs> I guess a song about getting a boner. I don't know. Like, uh, and a band from, I think from Tennessee that were called Tora Tora. But it was okay. like it was it was like a proper hair metal show. And then like the second show I ever went to was Motley Crue on the Doctor Feelgood tour with wow. Warrant opening up for them with my dad. That's which that's, is weird. You're just you're just knee deep in it. That's as uh, hair metal. Yeah, I mean, I was get. I was I was you know I was the kid who you know drew you know band logos on his you know, notebook in, in grade school or whatever. And, um, but then, yeah, once again, like once I, once I kind of discovered punk rock and, and, and that whole scene, like, uh, and that's when I met my, my wife when we were in high school and the first show we ever went to together was, uh, it was the red hot chili peppers on the blood sugar sex magic tour with smashing pumpkins and Pearl jam opening up for them. Damn. And I was a huge, like I'd gotten into like grunge pretty early on and got kind of disenchanted by it once, you know, Kurt died and, uh, well, and it was also just cause like I, I was just, this sort of like outsider. And then all of a sudden all these people at my high school were like wearing wallet chains and doc Martens and, and shit. And it was just like, yeah, you got, this sucks. Um, right. But yeah, so I was a big, I was a huge, like mother love bone fan. Oh, that makes uh, sense. And so I was wearing my mother love bone shirt when I went to go see pro <laughs> cause I'm a dork. <laughs> But yeah, uh, well, you also you probably felt a little superior. You're like, I know the real shit. Yeah, right. No, no, I, I definitely like like I knew who these guys were before. <laughs> before the, yeah. the 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 normies did. You know, what's a funny thing is uh, I don't I'm sure you've well, let's well, let's see. You guys, have, you know, covered Molly Crew uh, on Poorly. the show. Yeah. Oh, eh, you're giving yourself a hard time. But anyway, uh what what's so funny also, is Also, I would like I, to I would like to I would like please. to point out that that is that is the, you know, a uh, in internal conversations with the band that that is like uh we all hate that song. Okay. And okay. I I I just always say I got that vocal in one take because I've sung that song so many times 
in my bedroom, in the shower, in in whatever. So it's just it's like that's 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 a first that's a first take on that. Well, track. uh what that song and cover did cuz I I admittedly was never a Molly Crew guy. That was my I I didn't realize until a little bit later that that was a Molly Crew cover, etc. But what blew my mind was when uh Green Day put out American Idiot and then they have that song on with the show and it's literally the same song. I don't know if you've realized that. Well, I I feel bad saying anything negative about those guys because they when we toured with them they were very very kind to us but like uh, there's a lot of I mean there's a lot of songs on that uh album that are other songs. Yeah, there's like the Dillinger 4 song uh, right. all of that which is like right. yo I I mean if you're going to if you're going to take take from the greats but like uh, right. but yeah of what course. I heard when I heard Jesus of Suburbia, I was like, wait a second, why do I know this vocal pattern? And then it was like, oh, it's that Get Up Kids. Oh, it's actually Motley Crue. And like the whole thing kind of came together. It's a corny ass song. Like, you know, it, uh, I don't know. We just did a cover yeah. of of uh, Home on the Range for this Kansas Day thing. And I'm just like, yeah. we keep doing these fucking corny ass songs. <laughs> like, I mean, if you have fun with it, that's all that really matters. True, 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 true. Um, so when did what was the first instrument you started playing? Was it guitar? Was it? I think I saw you started playing drums too. Uh, I I played drums when I was young. Uh, I wanted to be Tommy Lee. Uh, and then at, at at some point I realized you can't really write music on the drums. So my mom had a nylon string acoustic guitar that. You know, I think she played in her in her hippie days. And uh, yeah. so I started, you know, dicking around with that. Do you remember the first song that you learned how to play, like some of that stuff? Uh, one of the first songs I learned how to play was Sliver by Nirvana. Okay. You know, mom and dad went to a show. Got me off the ground. But you, like that song. Yeah, uh, I was I was in a band, so I was in a band when I was um, I started playing in bands when I was fifteen, and I was in a band called Take a Joke, and mm-hmm. I alternated between playing drums and playing guitar, and the guitar player had this like poorly, uh, <laughs> but then the the singer was this sort of like hippie dude who wanted to be like in Jethro Tull. So he like played a flute. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, like the guitar player had this like 1968 Gibson SG. And I was just like, this is way too much guitar for me. Like, I don't like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like I'm just, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is a, you know, $3,000 guitar. <laughs> Right, for sure. But uh, you know, that that's what it ended up being. And then we put out a ca- like a cassette demo and I don't know. I just kind of played in bands after that like around town. Um Do you remember the first show oh, you played? Yeah, it was at a house party when I was 15. Uh and I was by far the youngest person there, so it was all like high school uh and college age kids and uh yeah 
I mean, I don't remember it really like vividly, but I just remember that that was that was the place. And then we used to play um, around Kansas City at the time. There was a lot of like uh, you would do like all ages shows in like abandoned buildings mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And there was a club for a year from ninety four to ninety no. 93 and 94 that was called the rumba box where I um I helped like kind of like run it a little bit and like I learned like everything about um how to do a show from from that experience like how to like you know take tickets how to like manage people how to you know run sound to a certain degree, uh, even though the sound guy was kind of a dick, uh, he was like a he was like a Nine Inch Nails sort of like industrial dude, and he actually yeah. went up to some he went up to some band. His name was Chad. He went up to a band that was performing, and he cut a hole in their drum head. He was like, "We need to we need to put a a mic in here," and so he just took out a knife and like just. <laughs> without permission like cut a hole in the drum head and i was just like that's not cool <laughs> you know like god, god damn it but Dad. you know you you learn you know um right 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 i mean yeah it's like you're you're throwing I and mean, that's usually how i feel like diy comes to people it's not something that they're looking to investigate it's something that they're thrown into and it just becomes a quick seminar on how to do right by people and how to manage things and how to get a show to happen yeah, totally. And then also just like learning about like different different stripes of people like, you know, like Shelter and 108 played there and then like wow. uh Crash Worship who are like a kind of you know, um I don't know how to explain that band. Do you know that band at all? I don't they know if I do. do. <sighs> They're sort of like noise experimental like art collective and they would like have like super soakers full of like wine and like spray them on people and stuff like that. But then they would also just do like, uh, they would do shows where it's just like, okay, we're performing under a bridge. So you need to like, it was like rave culture. Like you had to like go like find somebody who knew. Oh my God. Where to go. And, and then they would take you there. Um, and then what was that? What was the band that had the skateboard video? Unsane. That band. Oh, wow play there all the time uh yeah and then i saw like brainiac and girls against boys there and it was just it was very in, enlightening to be oh man or astro man that band yeah crazy yeah that's a lot of really really uh i could imagine some of those shows being a little life-changing because those are like legitimate interesting bands. well and i was i was also like 16 and i was i was in a band uh, I was in a band called Secular Theme, which was a sort of Nation of Ulysses sort of knockoff that we we all wore suits. The The singer of that band actually is uh, this guy. His name's Rob Lowe. He's not Rob Lowe, the actor, but he's a different Rob Lowe. And uh, <laughs> okay. he he actually just did – he does uh, uh, soundtracks and stuff, so he just did the new um, – Candyman. Uh, oh, whoa. Name. That's amazing. So, yeah, that's a guy I used to be in a band with, which is, is pretty cool. But, uh, yeah. I heard you guys, we, I listened to, uh, I don't own it, 
but now I feel like I need to. Um, you guys had a split seven inch with boys, uh, with boys life, and that. Uh, yes, I, 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 I actually I put that out. I put that out with my own, uh, with my own money when I was. Oh, that's school. awesome. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was like, is there any chance this is anywhere? And that song is actually on YouTube, and it's super fucking good. Like, it's very. Oh, uh, I don't know if it's super good. It's, oh no, it's I definitely. I, it's it's very up my alley. It's you know it's like the early signs of like what would end up becoming you know like the, the the, the '90s screamoy sort of stuff, which is you know up my wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, I was into it. I feel like that stuff. Tell me, okay, you you might be more well versed in that, but I I feel like that stuff starts with uh, grade from Toronto. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's. I I think that there. Or, or maybe. There is, or maybe the first ref- the, or the shape of punk to come like the refused record, you know, like there's element. What do you I think? mean, what I guess what I'm getting, you know, like I think of a lot of like the Moss icon Indian summer sort of, um, or oh, right. All that, all that you know sort of like gravity records, sort of like, yeah. kind of like that shit. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I looked to a lot of that stuff and that's what I got from Jim, the secular Jim, theme. Was that stuff you were into? No. <laughs> oh, interesting. But, uh, interesting. Uh, that was before, like, that was kind of before we got, we got kind of into that in the, in the get up kids era, but like, uh, Jim used to refer to them as, as Romulans because they always had like those like really bad haircuts and more the, the white belts. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, and it was just kind of like, okay, this is just like white belt shit. Uh, <laughs> Which we liked, we liked a lot. It wasn't like something that we like tried to emulate at all, but it was just sort of like because we yeah, came from you, a who are you? We came from a scene of band. like, uh, well, I mean, we 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 definitely like were influenced by like the kind of like AMREP and uh, touch and go, like the Jesus Lizard, and then Jesus like getting into yeah yeah getting into like Janitor Joe and and um. I'm trying to think of the other the other bands of that era, but like, it was like, noise, you know, John Boy. Like it was noisy, unwound is a big one. Oh, I can us. hear that for sure. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know if you sense. can. Um, but so you know, I mean that that kind of scene made sense to us, and then like the the Gravity record scene was kind of taking that to the extreme, you know? Yeah. What was the band Tristeza? Yeah. Do you remember that band? Yeah. 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 All so that. We, to- we, we toured with them and, and it was just kind of like this cool, like instrumental. And I remember one of the guys in the band was in the locust and he had a locust like tattoo, like in his lip. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of intense. But yeah, it's I had Justin Pearson was actually just the last guest on this uh on this podcast. Uh oh nice. I, yeah, we did like a live recording thing with him. Um yeah, and that dude ended up being the album leaf guy. Uh oh, okay. Who, yeah. Uh he went on to yeah, he was I think only in the locust for a little bit, but yeah, he ended up doing all this like beautiful instrumental and you know, uh, all of that sort of stuff, which is pretty cool. Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. 
do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com or shoot him a call at 773-340-1286. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. From that band, you went on to do that Secret Dakota Ring band, which I looked for. I was wondering if there was any recordings of that. Um, did that band record much? Uh, we we recorded a demo, but I, I think it might be lost to time. Yeah. Um, so that was... Uh, yeah, that was like a full on like lookout record sort of like pop punk group. And then when uh the guitar player of that band, who's my friend Mike, um, who I've known for forever, he left to go play with uh what was that band called? The Parasites. Okay. Who were like a uh, you know, a pop punk band of that era. And yeah. then Jim Jim started playing with us and that's when he and I started to kind of like formulate uh what ultimately would become get up kids like he he went to go see jimmy world play at this show at a club in kansas city in like 1996 and he was like this is what we need to be doing and i was like okay yeah so it was like a pretty formative experience i imagine yeah and i've told that to jim the the Jimmy world guys. And they're yeah. just kind of like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, You're like thanks man. And All right, see ya. Yeah. And then it's just also like, like our first trip in Europe in 1998, when we were out with uh braid in Europe and I had the demos for, um, so do you know who, do you know who Paul Drake is? He's a photographer who's, I don't know if I do. He's been around for forever. Sure. I think, I think Tom from Washed Up Emo is going to put out a photo book of his. But oh, cool! He he's the photographer from back in the day. He's from Denver, and he he used to tour with like Christy Front Drive and Boys Life and and Jimmy World and at the Drive In and stuff like that. Yeah, um, he's a really fantastic photographer. But he had uh, the demos for what would become Clarity, and every night in Europe sleeping on somebody's floor, as I know that you've probably done, uh, I would listen to those, you know, on my Walkman on, on a cassette, listen to those, to those demos. And just like, it's just, they're, they're just a huge, a huge influence on, on me and and what I do, you know? Yeah. What a, it's such a, it's yeah that record in particular just feels incredibly timeless it feels like it could have been recorded you know last last month i i yeah i mean we got to play some shows with them this some last summer uh in europe and when they would play songs off of that record i was just like i don't know i would just get like frozen you know <laughs> like i was just that that record means a lot to me and I, yeah. those guys, those guys mean a lot to me. Like their their band means a lot to me. Like, yeah, you know, um, we've emulated a lot of of, of what they've done uh, musically. But like that record in particular is just like it's just perfect. It's just a perfect record. 
I feel it. I feel it. Uh, do you remember what your first recording experience was? Probably the, the one that comes to mind is the secular theme. Uh, the song that we did for the boys life seven inch, because yeah. we recorded it at this guy. Um, there was this guy, Scott, and he was in a local band and I can't remember the name of his local band, but he had a, a dat recorder. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Which, yeah. And, and so we recorded, but it was this whole thing of like, um, so that band, the, the singer, Rob, uh, how do I explain this? So my, my best friend in high school was a, a, a budding sociopath who, uh, I believe currently 3d prints guns. Oh Jesus. He's, he's a bit, he's a bit, he's a bit wild, but, uh, back in the day, like when we were doing secular theme, it was kind of like anarcho, like revolutionary, like we would, we would, you know, print zines about how to overthrow the government and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was kind of a, uh, I guess now you would probably flag us as like budding domestic terrorists, but <laughs> right. you know, at the, at, at the time it was just sort of like good, clean, you know, good, clean fun. Right. But, uh, so he, he built this, you know, he, he basically built a device where he had a, a landline telephone that he plugged into a quarter inch jack. And so that's what our singer would sing into. He would sing into a telephone. Oh, wow. And I'd, just remember doing that session and having a hard time figuring out how to record the <laughs> telephone <laughs> because it was like it's not like a proper like microphone not you know what all. i mean like it doesn't yeah. have it doesn't have like phantom power or anything like that so it was just we ended up having to plug it into an amp and then miking the amp to like get this like really distorted you know, telephone vocal, right? which was cool, but it was just kind of a funny, funny experience. Yeah, for sure. What was, uh, what was the first tour you did? Was that, uh, was that with Secular Theme or was that with Secret Dakota Ring or did it end up being with the Get Up Kids? Uh, I only really started touring with, with Get Up Kids. We would do like weekends. Uh, we would go to St. Louis um and we would there's a there's video of of that uh with our old drummer and we would play at this girl Amanda's house and then we would go to like Arkansas or um Wichita or I don't think we ever played in Topeka but like you know just kind of like regional stuff and then the first tour we ever did was in June of 1997 with Braid, who we had never met. Braid in Ethel Meserve. and oh whoa, that's the awesome. first show. Yeah, the first show was at uh, the Coalesce House, and so Coalesce played, and there were all of these. So there used to be this scene of. They weren't skinheads, but they were like shaved head dudes who were like really into like kung fu and stuff. Um, one of whom was a tattoo guy, uh, whose name was Bill, and everyone called him Bill the Drill because he would like press really hard when he would give you a tattoo, <laughs> and they would like chuck shit at us while we played, 
uh and i'm just like i'm not gonna get into a fight with these no really really buff like kung fu skinhead dude because there was a big there was a big skinhead scene in kansas city actually a bunch of like um you know sharps as it were right uh and well that's an interesting story actually i remember um one of the secular theme shows we played at a skate shop in raytown which is a I mean, I guess it's a suburb of Kansas City, but it's like, you know, a, a town outside of Kansas City. And there was a the skate shop there. And so, like, they had a big, like, half pipe. And we set up on the the sort of, like, deck of the of the half pipe, like, where you would drop in from. Yeah. And we, we started playing, and this, this, like, fucking dude showed up, and he was wearing a t-shirt that had a Klansman on it that said boys in the hood on it. And so all of the sharp skinheads just started beating the ever living shit out of him, uh, banging his head against the metal stairs. And we were just like, all right, time for us to go. Like, it's just the scene we want to really be. But I mean, that, that, that wasn't on, I mean, that wasn't really that uncommon at the time, you know, like, um, just i don't know yeah it feels like a lot of that a lot I mean, of people got ran out of the scene pretty well hopefully i i don't know if i want to say pretty quickly but you know uh over you know i feel like in the late 90s the early 2000s a lot of uh the racist skinhead type people uh were well and we're also away. talking about we're also talking about like living in the midwest so it's like a little bit more you know you get your hillbillies Right. You know, like it. Sure. So what do you remember from the, the get up kids, uh, braid Ethel Reserve tour? Like how long was it? Like, did you enjoy it? Were you sharing? Were you all in, were like you guys in your own van? Were you having to share with other people? Like was, uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you remember? Um, we were in our own van. We had this, uh, 1993 Ford Econoline that I bought that had a wooden bumper because in Missouri you can pass inspection if you have a wooden bumper. Um, so I had this like two by two by eight, uh, on the bumper and it was always a point of, of conversation wherever we went. (laughs) But, um, things I remember from that tour, uh, the first show was in Minneapolis and a couple of the guys from, uh, motion city soundtrack were there. And I, I remember, I remember that I remember playing at the, the slant house in Madison, Wisconsin, which was kind of a famous, uh, like punk house. Yeah. Uh, I remember playing at, so we played two shows in New York. We played one show at Brownies, which was like right before it closed where they didn't they paid us like 30 bucks, but they left the beer cooler door unlocked. <laughs> so we stole probably about $400 worth of beer. Uh, Makes sense. We had this, we had this, uh, like drum, you know, hardware case that I had built 
that said Slayer on the side. <laughs> it just made out of wood. Yeah. And we basically filled that full of, and I didn't drink at the time. So like, it wasn't really like a big deal for me. It was more just a like, well, fuck you guys. Yeah. Like, you, you personally were not benefiting, but it was the point no. that was important. And then that same trip we played at CBGB's, we played like a matinee at CBGB's, which was like a dream come true. But we were playing with these, three hardcore bands who had made a flyer that were just fucking mocking us the whole that was just like Ugh. some fucking emo band from somewhere you know right we played with monster at monster x 97a and spaz whoa and yeah it's a good show right right but it's but it was just kind of like yeah you couldn't feel more alienated on that show well, but it was just sort of like the flyer was like, you know, a, an old school picture of like Black Flag with like Rollins with a microphone in his mouth. And it was just kind of like, look at these pussies like, right. you know, like and so that sucked. But, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. But then yeah. the one that I re the one that I really, really remember is we were driving to Rhode Island and we ended up playing a show where both bands set up in the basement like across the room from each other and we would like trade songs back and forth. Okay. Which I've never done. I've never done since, but it was really fun. But I just remember on the way there talking to, I was driving the van and I was talking to Rob and I was just like, I think we can keep doing this. Cause the whole point was to just take the summer off and go on tour and then go back to school. Yeah. And, and then it was just kind of like, I, th I think we can do, I think, I think this makes sense. I think we can do this. And he was like, yeah, I agree with you. And then Damn. it was just kind of off to the race. Revelation. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask him something that I caught that was pretty interesting, which I didn't realize um, when doing some research, a few of these things. So one, that first seven inch that you guys did, um, I didn't realize, it's crazy that you recorded with uh, AJ and Mike Mogus, who obviously went on yeah. to become like the Saddle Creek you know, engineer guys right, uh, right, right, right. who did yeah. all the bright eyes and cursive and all that sort of stuff. Um, so did you record that out in, um, in Nebraska? Yeah, it was in uh, Lincoln and they, we got in touch with them because they had recorded the uh, boys life and Christy front drive split 10 inch. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of our initial contacts were from boys life. Um, touring wise and recording wise and, and all of that stuff. So, and they they charged by the song and not by the hour. Oh, interesting. <laughs> which just which was kind of. I mean, they were just up and coming. Of course. But yeah, we just stayed at their house, and you know. Uh, was that I your only time we, we, working with them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Was uh, and then I also I never thought about it before, but um the label that put out that seven inch was it sounds like it was just like a self-release sort of thing but what is the background yeah that was huey proudhon records what's the story for huey perdone perdone uh, sorry uh i can't remember what the perdone comes from but huey was supposed to be like huey newton uh the guy who's like one of the uh black panther founder the guy who i put the seven inch so it was like me and rob and this guy kevin he was kind of a rich kid got it you know uh and so you know rob rob and i and, and him put out this that seven inch and we 
hand stamped everything and and you know right put all the put all the booklets together and all that stuff yeah that's the charm of when you know if you're a record collector and you end up getting that in your collection where it's like it feels very put together by hand and that's like kind of the the specialness of it for sure well the first i think it's the first 500 copies of it uh are sort of like hand drawn and then uh after that cuz i think we made like 2000 altogether okay. and after that we gave it to Dan from Second Nature, Dan Askew. Yeah. And he you know scanned it and put it in a computer and made the lines cleaner <laughs> and stuff like that. So Oh, interesting. I'll uh, have to look at mine to see which version I have. That's interesting. And then something else I caught which I thought was pretty fascinating was I guess I never usually I'm the guy who's paying attention to like who you all, you know, whoever records records with and whatever. I didn't realize that Bob Weston did 4 Minute Mile. Is that Oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that pulling influence from, you know, the stuff you were into with uh, with the old band with so, uh, the secular theme? Because that's like a that's not someone you would expect to do that record. So he did uh, he did a the second Boys Life record and then he did a band uh, from Lawrence called The Regrets, who is uh, basically everybody from a band called Vitreous Humor. Oh, right. Which I, he may have done the Vitreous Humor record, too. I don't I don't really remember. But uh, it was just sort of like, you know, and then we were big fans of Shellac too. So it was just sort of, you know, he yeah. was available. I don't, I don't, I don't know how we ended up. Um, like this, this whole thing that came together, where it was just like we could record at the Chicago Recording Company, which was like a really nice studio, but we had to do it at, like at night. And over the weekend. And so like we made that record in two and a half days. Wow. And he was just, he was down for doing that. The only time we ever stopped was to sleep or watch the Simpsons. <laughs> the two most important things in life. Right. So no, but Bob ended up mixing, um, some of our, our recent, like, uh, like there are rules I think he ended up mixing. Oh, interesting. I would have just assumed Ed did. Wow. Ed recorded it. Yeah. But I think Bob, if I remember correctly, Bob mixed it. Ed, um, Ed and Rob recorded it. Okay. And then that was your first record uh, working with Doghouse. And that's where I feel like they were, you know, East Coast label, especially at that time. How did that relationship start? Uh, I mean, we just sent out seven inches, the, that first seven inch we sent it, sent it out to them. Um, I, I, you know, they, they were interested and then, um, you know, because of our association with them, everybody thought we were a hardcore band. Um, and you know, just kind of go from there. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, and I, I do regret this, that when we got bought out, from our contract with doghouse is that they got the vinyl rights to something to write home about. So they, they still own that, which is frustrating. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. It's stuff you don't think, I mean, that's the, the fun learning lesson well, of life. It's like, you don't realize those things, especially then when like, you know, vinyl wasn't the main source of. No, I mean, yeah. vinyl was pretty dead, pretty dead outside of like, the punk rock and hip hop. Exactly. Community. Yeah. 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 You know? And so, 
but you know now it is what it is and it was it was kind of a weird thing of like it wasn't very common or maybe even like unheard of that uh a band would leave an indie label for another indie label right which is what we did when we moved to vagrant and um so something that i thought that i caught which was pretty smart that you guys did um was because it seemed like you guys were very in tune with what you wanted to do with your with you know with you and your friends and everything like that was starting an imprint label with vagrant the the heroes and villains thing what inspired you guys wanting to do that well uh the whole time that we were the time that we were we ended up on vagrant we were actually like trying to sign to a major label but like every major label would be like you're just kids you you know they would offer us like less money than we had gotten on dog house. And, you know, even uh, like sub pop who we were talking to for a while just sort of seemed like, you you know, here's two grand, like, you know, like it wasn't, it it just wasn't taking us very seriously when it was just kind of like, okay, like we're selling out shows right now. I mean, they're punk shows. Yes. But like, there's a couple hundred people here. Yeah. Um, and we're working hard. And so, uh, you know, ultimately we, we were going to sign to this label called Mojo, but it would, it would ultimately be like, we would meet someone who was like the A&R person who like totally got us. And then when it would get to like the higher ups at the label, they would just be like, Oh, these are just like dumb kids. Ugh, you know, that's frustrating. Is that how the yeah, so is that how the sub pop seven inch ended up coming out? Was that a part of that time? Yeah, I mean that was that was part of a. So my my friend, our friend Jason, who was the A and R guy at Sub Pop at the time, uh, was trying to sign us, and he's still a friend. Like he's you know you know you never like meet like good people in the music industry. <laughs> and you it's just rare, like, but yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. And then you like keep you keep you know tabs on them, and he you know he's still in the industry, but he's just a good dude who likes music and he was trying to sign us and, you know, he took us, you know, out to eat with, you know, Jonathan Poneman and, and, and it was just kind of like, he just didn't see it. And that was like pretty common as far as like label executives went where it was just sort of like the A&R guy gets it and is really stoked on it and can kind of like see the forest from the trees and see that like this is a scene because i mean this is like 98 99 like this is right before the like explosion you know what i mean like right so you know ultimately we just ended up with like rich was already our manager and he was talking to the labels for us and then finally he was just like no one's going to give you what you want. Like, why don't you do like one record on our label and we'll give you like a really good deal. And, you know, it's, it's still an an insane, um, artist friendly record deal. And then, uh, you know, and the, like the whole thing was supposed to be like a stepping stone of just like, okay, we'll put out this one record on Vagrant and then we'll sign to a major after that yeah but then things went so well with vagrant that we're just like well let's just we'll just keep going yeah i mean you you know 
it was just yeah there was that uh it was just like a perfect wave of like a handful of releases that just sort of changed everything between that late 90s period to those early 2000s yeah i mean you were part of a very special wave and boom of of bands so yeah but i mean like what uh was the heroes and villains thing like a thing that was a part of the oh. appeal for you where you're like oh well can we also do this so we could put out some of our friends so Rob and I had, you know, when we were talking about like signing to a major label, we were like, okay, we're going to get an advance and then we're going to start a record label to put out the anniversaries album because he was, he was uh, like, they were our friends. They were a, a really big influence on us. Rob was dating Adrienne at the time and it was just like, okay, we're going to put this money into you guys. And then when that fell through and we didn't sign to a major label we were just like okay well can we have our own imprint then on this indie label and rich and and cohen were were both into the idea <laughs> and then they met the anniversary <laughs> and that was a whole thing they uh they were like okay send us a demo and josh sent them a cassette of all like Scott stuff like uh -huh. <laughs> like 90s like real big fish kind of like Scott stuff and uh -huh. they're like what the fuck like Rich calls me and he's like what the fuck is this and I'm just like it's just them like it's <laughs> they're just weirdos that's really funny that's really funny because yeah you also, or, you also put out Kofax as well right well Kofax were just kind of like this is like because so Rob Sukon, the singer of Kofax, is someone he used to work at Doghouse. And um, we met him really early on. And we just started calling him Rob Dog because he, you know, worked at Doghouse. And he's easily one of the funniest people I've I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. And he he's like, I got these demos and we're like, listening to it. We're like, these songs are really good. Like, I don't like they're kind of like you know, adult contemporary. I don't know if anybody's going to really get it, but like, you know, we like it. So, I mean, that was kind of the era of just sort of like, you know, we like this. So we assume other people will like it too, but then, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case. Something that I thought that I, that I caught, which I think is just so cool was uh, you guys did on a wire with Scott lit. And was that, an influence taken from you guys being like REM fans? Was it like his, the fact he did a like replacements record, some counting crow stuff? Like what was, what was that for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, all of those things were factors, but like, I think the bigger factor is that he wanted to do something different, which I think ultimately was a hindrance. Um, because he didn't really take in, into consideration, like any of our previous work. Interesting. Like he was just on, he was only about like, like he, I, I think that his attitude was like, what we're going to do here is going to like make all of your previous work irrelevant. And, hmm. uh, we were kind of open to that idea because we were pretty burnt out on, you know, what we had been doing. Um, and so consequently, I don't, I don't think we, I think we made a relatively like, I often refer to that record as being somewhat neutered because like when we play those songs live now, they have more like 
replacements energy. Interesting. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Where whereas like on the on the record they seem sort of like, eh, you know, like and, then, and I don't I think I, I don't think that they're bad songs. Right. It's just um everything just feels a little bit too, you know, adult contemporary. Interesting. I mean, it's it's uh when you're a part of a project, it's hard to uh, see outside of your own experience and your own and how you hear it and things like that. But, um, you know, I'm sure you've been told this a million times, but like that was a record that, you know, some me and so many of my friends love something to write home about, love Four Minute Mile. Like those were big, important records for us. But, you know, maybe it was the right age at the right time. I don't know what it is, but On a Wire for so many of us is is likely our favorite record. You know, like there's just so oh, many elements well. to it that I just love so much. Um, and I hear all those there, influences in it, you know. I don't I don't love that record, but mm -hmm. I think that some of the songs on it are some of the best songs that I've ever written. Like, you know, like I think Hannah Hold On is oh. probably one of the best songs that I've I've ever written. Yeah. And so, you know, I I I will I will take that, but uh, sure. I, I'm not happy with, like, I don't know. If we could re-record it, it probably would sound better. <laughs> uh, I remember when we went and recorded with Ed. I mean, when we went into that live room and we looked above the door and there was the painting from the record, we were like, oh, this is tight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're like, this is cool. We're, we're pretty psyched on this. I wanted to uh, touch on uh, the new Amsterdam's because you're about to do this uh anniversary tour of worse for the wear um is the name Am uh, new amsterdam solve this for me was that a mr jones counting crows reference uh no it's an elvis costello uh he's got a song called new amsterdam and i was drunk at a bar one time and i said if i ever do a solo project i'm gonna call it the new amsterdams oh okay and then i stuck to it got it got it because yeah uh i like elvis costello but i'm not as much of a, a of a in tune diehard like that but there's the obviously the opening lyric of mr jones is down at the new amsterdam so i was like okay possibly especially seeing the connection where you worked with scott lit i didn't know <laughs> um but something i appreciate is uh i'm wondering if you've probably had this in your life too where you are familiar with a song you like a song and then you discover later in your life that it's a cover i mentioned that with on with the show but on a never you mind uh that was my introduction to both afghan wigs and boilermaker finding out that those were covers later oh in nice my life. yeah which is like super cool i love specifically that afghan wigs cover that was my uh wife's favorite song so that's why i covered that that's beautiful that's really cool that's really really cool um so with uh when it came to doing the third record which is the one that you're about to do this anniversary for um what do you remember about uh, that process because in the sense of that felt like the first of the three where it was sort of like for lack of a better phrase I guess like an all hands on deck situation where it became like very full band um, the songs uh, yeah it just they they felt a lot more um, fully realized like in a big production sort of sense um, is that fair to say or what do you remember from the writing and recording of that record um I mean, I made that record with, with Ed and the Popes played on it. And, um, you know, to a certain degree, I think it got out of my hands a little bit. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be like the kind of person who like complains about 
stuff like that. But I, I did sometimes with, with Ed and with, with Rob in particular, like I tend to like let them take the reins a little bit. And I, 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 I don't necessarily think that like worse turned out exactly how I had, I had envisioned it. It Mm -hmm. seems a little bit more, um, was it used? Cause, was it because you're used to being more the stripped down version, like the kind of more straightforward acoustic stuff, like the like the first two records? I think that's what I kind of envisioned it being. Sure. And it didn't. It didn't really end up being that way. And I, I'm not un, unhappy with the way that it turned out. It just, um, I can't. It, there's a there's an element of it that it isn't exactly what I was going for. Right, because maybe you weren't as but into if, the, the polished aspect of it, in a, if to use a you know a specific phrase. Yeah, um, and uh, I want to also mention that I'm frustrated that at one point I, uh, I, I gave my LP version of that record to a friend uh, in the early 2000s as a gift, and uh, it's not appeared back in my life since. And um, I just want to ask, and also be out of curiosity, if if any of those New Amsterdam records are going to get any sort of vinyl reissue at any point because the first two aren't even were never even on vinyl no and um unfortunately there was the the there was the warehouse fire and so some of those uh master tapes got burned up oh no uh in the like warner brothers like warehouse fire from a couple of years ago whoa um so we talked about trying to do worse on vinyl and getting the masters from like the European label. Yeah. Uh, but that, that didn't really pan out. So I have uh killed or cured, which is the record that came out after that, which right. is a double album. I have that on vinyl that got reissued this year. And that's pretty much what I'm going to be taking on tour. Well, let me hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? I mean, it's probably that that time I was discussing before of like talking to Rob in the van that time on the way to Rhode Island of just being like, I think we can do this. Yeah. Uh, You know, I didn't really think about it much past that point. Well, damn, man, this is this has been awesome. I'm I'm hoping to make it out to the uh, maybe the Pioneer Town show on uh, that run with. Oh, that'd Kevin. be sweet. Yeah, that's such a an, an amazing place to see shows. Um, no, Kevin's... I agree. I'm I'm ex- I've only been there once before, but I I, I really like that that spot. Yeah, so. it's it's really really special, and I love Kevin to death. So um, I'm excited to uh, to hear both of you play these records that are very important. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Matt for coming on and thank you for listening. Hey, you got any feedback? Email me over at the first ever mailbag at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, one of these days I'm going to do a mailbag episode and maybe I'll read yours. Uh, subscribe to the show, Spotify, Apple. If you enjoyed this, it means a whole lot. And if you want to read the Q&A that came from subscribers and Matt, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. All right, that's it. Take care. I'll see you next week. Be good. Bye-bye.